Aloha, all you moneymakers out there. Today, we're excited to announce uh, we have a great guest there here today. Um, RM, I can't say it. RM, uh, how do you say your Amar, say your last Samaha. name. Samaha. Samaha. And I have a hard, hard name, so <laughs> we have definitely two hard names. So, um, you know, Middle Eastern names are not the easiest sometimes. But no, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, he's a beast, guys, in luxury architectural, and he has a great, great background in real estate that, and just uh, understanding real estate that I think really we were just talking about helped helped him grow. And of course, he has his great. Tykes just came out and his NFT, their projects, he's partnered with Ryan Panetta and super excited to hear about that. But more interesting, we're going to talk about money and just how money flows and making money. And uh, he loves talking about, I love talking about, so let's talk about it. <laughs> let's do it. Just before we get started, I'd love it if you guys could subscribe below and that way we can reach more people and just help people make their money work for them in any different way we can. Thank you guys. And let's get started in today's content. So, guys, you want to introduce yourself and you wanted to share what uh, your background is. Absolutely. Yeah, where'd, you, where'd you grow up? And yeah, tell me a little bit more about it. Yeah, I, I want to start off by thanking you, Vinzar, for, uh, for having me on your show. I'm uh, extremely humbled to be on your show. Um, all right, just give you a background about myself. You know, my name is Amr Samaha. I'm the CEO and founder of Samaha Holdings, uh, which owns uh, four different companies that service real estate. We do everything from design all the way through to development um, and everything sort of in between. Um, and that really happened because I was trying to vertically integrate the different parts of real estate that I was trying to uh, navigate. And I ended up with those four companies. And I obviously have my fifth company with Ryan Pineda, uh, which I'm the co-founder of Tykes, Tykes Project with him. And uh, that's an exciting new project in the Web3 space uh, that is really focused around real estate investors and for real estate uh, investors. So uh, that's kind of my my two cents. I'm also an architect. You're, you're trade. being modest. You guys, are, you're being modest. His design is <laughs> crazy. These are, I mean, you're talking like skyscraping buildings with these. I've seen some of these beautiful work. Like, I don't know how you come up with ideas. It's, you know, very architectural, very modern, very, I'd say contemporary modern. I would say to feel, I'm sure you're, you're working yeah. with the clients directly, but I, you guys got to see the design work of this. We're not talking a little Manini kind of small little stuff here. These are just beautiful. And the building that he's in right now actually was one of the buildings that I, I seen renderings before he was even there doing that building. And I mean, it's crazy how you take that boring old building or structure and, and, and really turn it around. It's it's pretty amazing to, to say the least. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we've been very fortunate, man. Like, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm actually an immigrant. So like when I moved to the U S you know, I didn't know anyone like quite literally you, you, you know, I'm, I'm a transplant. So I, I didn't know anyone didn't really have a community or surround that I could really like, uh, lean on. Um, uh, and I think that was, uh, that was one of the biggest, uh, hurdles that I had more so than like all the technical things. It's more so like, who do you know? How do you, how can you navigate your relationships to be able to uh, get to meet people, right? That could be your clients or your business partners. Everyone needs a place to start. Um, so we've been very fortunate in the growth that we've had. But the reason for that growth, I think, is kind of the niche we were talking about earlier, which is understanding the value of design, right? And how mm -hmm. to generate value out of design. Uh, so unlike every other 
architectural practice. What we really focus on is design from a developer's perspective, right? Like, how does this add value to me? Uh, and if so, uh, how much money is it going to cost me? And, and how is that going to change my my bottom line, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think that's helped us grow significantly and have access to projects similar to the ones you're talking about, where you know it's a 20 story building that we're like renovating in a landmark location. Just being able to to do work for that is is truly humbling, and I personally never thought that I'd be able to to get to it. But you know, here we are, and I'm extremely excited to to have done it and 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 just experience the entire process. Obviously, design is your passion, your love, but it that's not the underlining thing is your brain. No, no, yeah. no. It's uh, it's yeah. design with ROI in mind, right? Like yeah. efficient. Like uh, how do you add value to this? Uh, you know, I I could care less to just uh, make a sculpture. Like, unless adding value, unless that sculpture, unless you know, you're telling me if I add the sculpture in this place, is yeah. going to increase foot traffic. More so foot there, traffic to see correct. the sculpture. So therefore, yeah. it translates into more dollars. So it's yeah. more efficient. For the, yeah. it's better for the economy. Absolutely, I'll add the sculpture. Right. Yeah. But absent that, we like the, in our whole practice, we don't do anything unless it's generating revenue or efficiency or sustainability or something to to the project you know just sitting around listening you say that that's a niche that i don't think architects got to figure out like they don't teach that in school or they don't you know no no it's just design and make pretty but it's not uh what you almost should be taught in in architectural school or you know in a design class you're you're absolutely right so uh they teach design you know in vacuum right like yeah yeah this is the way to best design right and yeah, you yeah. understand the vacuum and space what the best design will be right and then they teach you a bunch of other classes about like sustainability and cash flow management and stuff but they never really make that connection for you yeah of, like how to use this stuff with the design aspect so you'd be able to create something that generates uh you know, better product. For what, when was it that you figured that out? I mean, because obviously I teach that in school. I mean, that's what you. That's how you blew up, really. I. I yeah. So, so uh, you know, once I was done with school, I immediately realized that architecture isn't going to make me a whole lot of money. So I was like, ah, forget this. It's just like, and I was an architectural engineer, right? Like, so yeah. you know, even if you make like six figure later on in, in your career. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny you say. It. I got an electrical engineering degree, and I yeah, did the same I, thing. Like, yeah, you make. Yeah, like hundred maybe, like okay, yeah, like yeah, like you you make good money, right? But like you work so hard, and you know, being an electrical engineer, right? Like all the trenches you had to go to in school, and getting like licensed and all that. Yeah, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of commitment. It's a lot of effort. And you know, I I personally think, especially engineers, are you know extremely sharp. Like if you could keep up with the BS of engineering, yeah, uh, you you have you have great right. Uh, so to go through all that, just so that like, you know, it'd be like a six figure sort of job, uh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, there must be something better out there. Right. Uh, and I could see a lot of my, uh, my friends and family friends and things like that. They, the really successful ones were in business. They weren't, you know, they were engineers, but they were in business b- before they, they, they were engineers. So, uh, it made me really think about like, okay, like, uh, I don't, I don't want to be, just an architect. I want to do something with the skill set. Mm. And uh, what I did is I started a couple of businesses servicing architecture to start off with. And then, you know, they didn't do too, one of them didn't do too well, just kind of fizzled out. And the other one was doing really well. And then, you know, just didn't have my legality set up straight. So when things blew up, 
my business partner kind of like took a chunk out of it um and like left me with nothing so yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. there were growth the experiences yeah the uh, partnerships yeah 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 and then the 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 journey after that i was like okay well clearly right like i was able to generate value and create these companies and, and make money but there were certain things that i wasn't good at right like i obviously didn't cover my back as far as legalities went i obviously didn't have the best uh financial tools at the time that i should have had right uh going into business so i sought those two things out and the opportunity presented itself by uh by getting a job offer out of nowhere uh from a family family office so uh you know i got a, a job offer in new york from this family office uh because i had met the partner a couple of times but it's totally different than what you're doing that's that's interesting exactly yeah, yeah. exactly but that's what made it very attractive to me because at the time it was striking on two pain points i had right all these people do is cut deals they find you know companies cut a deal and sell that company at a higher valuation and that part seemed to be the part where i was weak at right like i knew how to build the company itself but i didn't know how to cut the deal before or after right so mm. one i could i could operate it i could create revenue out of it but then trying to pull that revenue out was clearly not a good idea because i hadn't structured it right to start a flip right mm -hmm. um, so you started so, learning about Ep epida and i think the weakness of every company is marketing that's how you can build it yeah yeah. yeah so so i uh i ended up taking the job and doing that for three years and you know went from initially being somewhat of like an intern right like because i had to shadow a lot of people to understand a lot of things that i didn't know right like i didn't mm -hmm. know finance and i was working on 59th and park so like in the heart of like you know finance yeah. York, oh, yeah. right yeah, yeah um so shadowed a bunch of people for like the first call it two months and i was very lucky and privileged to shadow the mentors that i had and then very quickly over the course of the next three years i went from being there to like heading a 300 and a bit uh person company mm -hmm. um like the expansion the growth of that in like the western part part of the u.s which brought me often to la right because i i had to be in la for business uh, and I realized that I really love the weather here. It's a lot more like uh, the weather back home. And I was like, you know what? I, I don't want to do New York anymore. There's so much more to this country than just New York. Yeah. Uh, and at the end of that three-year tenor, uh, I had learned a lot of the, the skills that I really needed. Um, and then I basically went from that to unifying the two sort of passions I had, right? One for, you know, finance and creating wealth for myself and then the other of architecture and then mm. doing development and that's uh that's how i started my journey uh in development in la that's amazing that's, I, i've never i never heard that side of your story i mean i knew you're great at architecture but i didn't know that other the financing side of it all yeah uh it's definitely uh i think it's uh i i have a lot of creativity uh, i feel mm. within yeah. within this mind of mine and uh my best tool in expressing this creativity the medium for me is architecture and buildings and, and lived environments i i can't really tolerate art in, in its static form i like it when it's dynamic when it's alive and uh so i'm, I'm a lot more into for example sculptures and than i am in, in paintings and things like that. even though they they also are things you could interact with but uh i think architecture is just the tool that i've used to monetize 
something that I think naturally comes to me, which is, to your point, design. I mean, I love how you take a design and you, as we were talking earlier, you're utilizing design, not just for the design aspect, but design to make money, you know, to yeah. take a building and, and utilize the building where, yes, it's going to cost that owner, you know, millions of dollars to do this design. But in return, this building now is going to have a, you know, higher income, lower expenses, and it's going to, honestly, it, maybe it costs two, three, four, five million, whatever to build it. But now this $50 million building is now evaluated at a 50 or $60 million evaluation. So even if it costs this much, the valuation of that building now is, is crazy. And now that building owner could actually refinance that out and actually even pay that, pay, pay all that off. Correct. So uh, that that's that's really where we shine, right? So for this particular building, we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but uh, we basically looked at the building and said, okay, this building burns about a million dollars a year in electrical and, mm. and heating and cooling, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's a big black glass tower in LA. So what could we do to make this tower look like a hotel mm. uh, without, you know, paying a bunch of money? And fundamentally, it was very clear to me that we needed to bring that bill down, right? That million dollar bill is egregious, a million dollars a year in cooling yeah. and heating. If we yeah. could bring that down just by 50%, right? That's like $500,000 into 30 years, you know, that's 15 million, right? So to, to that end, you know, you've if you could deliver a design that would save $15 million by putting an umbrella over the building, right? Just as simple as that, right? Like if you put an yeah. umbrella over the building, you bring down the, the cost of operating that building by $15 million in 30 years, then you have that money to be able to leverage to make the building look better, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's fundamentally what we did. We're like, okay, well, this building needs a big ass umbrella. <laughs> and uh, that's what we end up doing. We end up doing these circular um umbrellas that go between level to level. Uh, that look very slick, that end up changing this building from looking like this black, big onyx mm. glass behemoth to this big mushroom-looking umbrella building that looks extremely attractive. And it's not just because it's my personal design, but uh, but because the idea really works. Uh, you just shaded every level exactly to the sun pattern that it's, it's mm. passing through throughout mm -hmm. the day. Uh, so you made the building look good. And at the same time, you did it at the cost of decreasing electricity. So you were able to re-adaptively reuse this building and moving it from, you know, being perceived as an office building to making it this sexy hotel mm -hmm. yeah. uh, landmark without paying money out of pocket. But not only that, now your NOI is going to increase yeah. to about a third more because your occupancy is going to be much higher People want to rent this place out more exactly. so, and, and you're utilizing the building a lot better use. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So that's the kind of uh, that's the kind of architecture that we deliver, right? And the vast majority of projects that we work on are uh, JVs. Obviously, we have we started taking on clients actually over the last two years. Uh, yeah. So last last year was our first year, uh, to be honest. So outside of that, it was usually just by word of mouth. We weren't taking on clients. Uh, in any form, really, unless I knew you and I wanted to do that project with you uh, for like, you know, maybe a JV prospect in, in a later stage. Would you uh, buy it? You would buy it together with the owners or they would own it already and then you would just come on as a owner, so it, equity owner? What would you do? 
it depends on on the project right because there's a very wide range so it's like a building as big as this one obviously i'm not a billionaire so i'm not you know financing a 300 million dollar uh acquisition in in la uh so my percentage on something like that would be very low compared to my percentage on you know a single family home right so it depends what kind of project we're looking at but uh, there are industry standards for all this stuff, so it's not like uh, it's very hard to look up. You know, if you just like look up what the development deal looks like and what the general structure is, we're usually within that general structure for larger buildings, and again within the same structure for smaller buildings. Uh, and our advantage is we know how to create money out of design and not just yeah. use it to use it. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting how. You didn't even need to take on clients. And you have a big team, guys. It's like, if you guys don't know, obviously he's not doing this by himself. I mean, you have a pretty massive team, um, you know, to yeah, figure out so, the, the pattern of the sun and to design all that. That's a lot of research and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of behind the scenes that people are, you know, you're kind of passing over, but it it's a lot of figuring out the efficiencies of windows and glass and yeah, a lot going yeah. on behind all that. It's a, it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of technical stuff for sure. Yeah, we do have a big team and that's actually the realization that made me realize that actually, as a matter of fact, since I built out this entire architecture practice that I use for our own projects, maybe I should leverage this machine that I've built, right? And sell that service to others. And that's why we started selling that service this last year. And just in this last year, we've been able to break, you know, seven figure in, in sales from this product that we already had but never sold mm. uh just by taking on like what was it like two projects uh so we didn't really try to sell ourselves we didn't like we just basically put up a website saying that we have this business yeah and, yeah uh, and that was organically what happened out of it um, you don't really have to sell yourself because the clientele you're dealing with they they like right away i caught it like if i had a building right now i caught it like so those clientels catch it they should uh you know you can see that value you know, I can, I can see that, but if I had a huge building, I appreciate it. But, you know, it's a common misconception though, that, you know, we can only work on buildings that have such a high arbitrage, like even in homes, right? The first uh, project that we got into in LA is actually somewhere behind me here at the very top of the hill. Uh, It's on Appian Way. It's a project that we're actually still in and it's been our biggest learning challenge. Um, And that property, we got it for, you know, $780,000. $780,000. So it was yeah. really cheap for the land, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. As jetliner views. And the cost of construction would be something about $2.5 million or so. That's a beautiful house. Yeah. Right. And the sale price, the comp to it was a 9.9, right? So it was a no brainer for me. I was like, okay, we're going to have to do this, right? Yeah. Uh, the learning experience was the city of West Hollywood almost doesn't want you to build there. So it makes your life a living hell yeah. trying to permit it. Yeah. So it takes, it takes a solid five years and a gut of steel, right? Yeah. yeah. To take punch after punch and know that it is your legal right, that you are an engineer and you're aware of what you're doing and you just keep going to bat for it. Right. But that kind of project right still generates significant upside on design right that same home you wouldn't be able to sell for you know a 10 million dollar valuation just because you put in these numbers into it right like it probably sell for something close to like a five million but to get that extra you know 
for in a bit. You need a design aspect, yeah. You need that. Yeah, wow. You need, yeah. You need the edge factor, right? Yeah. Because you've moved from being all about space, like how much price per square foot that you're selling a customer. Now you're selling a different customer. That's like, yeah. okay, yeah. it's not just design, like my price per square foot. It's like, what is my quality of life? And how does this communicate me as a person, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's a ton of those people that can't afford to wait, you know, four or five years in the case of like West Hollywood to be able to build, right? Because they'll go through the same thing. Mm -hmm. But life is short, right? And how many five-year increments do we have before we don't want to do it anymore, right? Yeah. In yeah. professional career. After, um, after I met you last time, you got me thinking about some high-end stuff. I actually came home from Vegas and I put in an offer for the 7.2 million. I think I messaged you. I was going to, I was so close to getting, I was going to bring you on actually. I was going to yeah. fly you over here and tell you, part me on this thing. Because uh, it was, it was like a 14 million evaluation and uh, I never did get it, but I valued, you can make a shit ton in some of these high end oh, absolutely. builds if you do it right. You know, if you do absolutely. it right, you know, that not just slap some paint on it, but you have to, Kind of pull out all stops. Absolutely, and, yeah. you're, you're right. And uh, you know, for that client base, again, uh, they're very savvy, right? They've seen everything, right? Like when you're mm -hmm. buying homes at those valuations, you're not. You've seen a thing or two in life. You know what I mean? Yeah. So being yeah. able to really deliver from their perspective what is luxury is very different to what my perspective, my own personal perspective on yeah. what would be luxurious for my own personal home. How right? do you struggle with that? Because you're designing now, especially on that deal, you design on your perspective, but you want to sell to the masses. You know, like for example, five, six years ago, I, I was doing accent walls on all my flips. That was not a, like a common thing. And people kind of were turned off on some of those, that thing. Now it's an everyday thing, an accent wall. But when you're designing, how do you design there's a fine line, right? You're, you want it to appeal to the masses, but you don't, you know, want it just appeal to one person because when you're selling a house, you want to, you know, everyone to potentially bid up on it. and sell Absolutely. So you're touching on a really important point for designers in general, right? Like yeah. you mentioned earlier, like, oh man, this guy has great style, right? But I'm pretty sure you wouldn't feel comfortable even though you see what I'm wearing, right? Or what, how I've put it together. And you could literally replicate it right you could be like okay he's wearing a gray hat uh pink hair uh his jerseys whatever color right yeah. and you could replicate it and uh you would think that you'd feel the same but the reality is you most likely won't feel comfortable right the reason is it's not an it's not an authentic expression of what you like if it was do it right mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. as a designer you need to understand two things right and that's really what differentiates a really successful designer just from a design aspect right mm -hmm. finances aside what is understanding what is current mm -hmm. what people want now and what people are going to understand and want shortly in the future right mm. that's it's the second one is hard one. that second one's hard one i think but you think it's hard because you're not in the space but i'll give you an example of your knowledge versus a novice's knowledge in real estate, right? You know, for example, today that in your Hawaii market, you should be avoiding purchases of, you know, X, Y, Z, right? Mm -hmm. Because you know that they're, you know, a little bit more at risk or something to that. And maybe your real estate strategy today is different than your real estate strategy 
last year, same time last year, right? Yeah, yeah. So you are predicting two things, right? One, what's the current pulse of the market? And you're aware of what that pulse is. And you're also predicting what the market looks like shortly within three, six year, two years, right? You're constantly predicting those different things. Uh, and you have your pulse on the market. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, because you're doing exact, it. Yeah, yeah. Exact same thing. And it might actually be harder when you're talking about um when you're talking about real estate, because at the end of the day, real estate is about numbers. So being able to predict the numbers and all the variable pieces to it is much harder than being able to predict color uh, trends or design trends or mm. any of that, because it's actually very close and mm. we're only ever evolving so slightly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't, so, so, go ahead. No, I, I, I was just saying 100%. You don't really jump in designs like yellow to a blue era. Or, you know, we're in the, we're, we're in the grays. Now we went into a, like a softer white. Like it wasn't like, and it was exactly. earthy, earthy before that. So it's exactly. like a, a little gradual. Exactly. And we're going to start to pick up a little bit more color. And I'm telling yeah. you this because, you know, I've been wearing color because yeah. we are about to pick up color. I'm, like, I'm over the white, by the way. I yeah. know. <laughs> I don't like the no, white. We're going to pick up a little bit more color and we're going to get a little, little and we're going to start getting a little bit more saturated yeah. over time. Uh, yeah. but, you I'll know. tell you a funny thing. So when I was flipping like five, six years ago, um, the realtors would paint the houses, interior houses white because the realtor didn't like want to make any like grass decisions mm -hmm. when you know, white was safe. So we used to tease the house as realtor white was the color. And now to this day, now that whites are really popular. I'm like, I used to tease it and now I can't get out of the. No, I, I, I completely understand. <laughs> and, and it's probably because of, you know, realtors painting more homes white because it was just a blank canvas. Yeah. It made it the standard for what people want, right? That's uh, what yeah, that's true. Oh. Yeah. Tell me more about the colors because I want to know what's because <laughs> I want oh, to start uh, colors. <laughs> you know, I think we're gonna start seeing a little bit more color in in everything. Uh because people are really over, you know, the whites, the grays, the the burnt tones. They're very current. But once anything is current, it's already old. That's mm. the that's the key to anything, right? Um and, and it's the key even to real estate, right? If everyone's talking about real estate, then you're at the top or you're at the bottom. You're either, you know, but no, no one really talks about it when it's, when it's in motion. Right. Uh, so, you know, on an, on an uptrend, once people start talking about real estate and talking about real estate investing, that's when you know, okay, well now everyone's going to be a real estate investor. This is the top of the market. Right. And then once people start talking in the inverse, like, oh my God, it's like, we're all going to die. Real estate's gone. The way that people are today, right? Then you know you're pretty much near the bottom, right? Because yeah, yeah, exactly. once it becomes like common knowledge to everyone, then everyone does the same thing, right? So now that everyone's doing, you know, the beiges and the the, the kind of soft tones of white and the earth tones, mm -hmm. there's going to be an oversaturation of that, right? Just because everyone's committed to it. So the next thing is to add some color to those same tones. So mm -hmm. like, you know, if it's like a washed white, right? Like you do like a washed blue. Uh, mm -hmm. So it starts to look like still earthy blue, but, you know, it's a slow transition. 
or like adding like reds and magentas to that similar sort of cool pa palette. People usually gravitate towards cool before they do warm uh, tones. And then that's going to add more saturation. And then we're going to start to see the warm tones come on the next cycle of like summers and, and things to that end. Uh, mm -hmm. And you start seeing those a lot more implemented in like beach homes and, you know, mm -hmm. places like Hawaii, where <laughs> people will pick up a lot more of the vernacular architecture and want a lot more of that than the very glitzy, glam sort of looks that we've been uh, we've been getting over the last call it five to ten years. I love it. I actually love listening to you about this because I actually secretly love designing. Uh, you know, I was a flipper. You know, that was always for me the funnest part of the house was always designing the home. You know, picking out yeah. the colors, the layouts, and accents, and uh, trying to get it all to play together. I, I, I can see you as we're sitting here talking about. It, you see it all in your head. Those colors, those feelings. I think a lot yeah. of people actually don't see that or feel that. Um, my wife's a great example. My wife has to like go put it, paint it in the wall and see it and feel it. But you already know what in your head what something – I mean you can guarantee walk a house and you would know what the hair there would go without even literally seeing on that on the walls. You know, And uh, that's a yeah. skill that I think not much people have actually, that design yeah. skill. It's, it's, no, it's often it's in your head. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're absolutely right. Like when, when you say that I could see it, I could see it and feel it. Like I could quite literally imagine the texture of mm -hmm. of these materials. So no, you're you're absolutely right. It's uh it's something that comes over time. Uh I, I, I have it too, but I noticed that yeah, you did grow it and build, but it was something it's in you that came yeah. from somewhere, but and, and the more you exercise it, the better you get at it. Like it's it, that's just fundamentally it. And I think uh, people are very like, scared. I bet you right now, a house that you're talking about at the hill, you can see that whole house and you can walk that house in your oh, house. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And know where this wall and that wall. And absolutely. Describe that. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't I, think much people have that skill. So it, think... it exists in 3D in my mind. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, no, you're absolutely right. And, uh, and I never actually realized that a lot of people might not have that. I just yeah. assumed that it's just part of the built in, yeah. you know. It's software, not, like it's the, not, yeah. the operating system. Um, I don't think so. And, and, and you can walk that house one time, and that's all you would need, I, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. We actually, speaking of this, we actually just signed on a new client. I'm very excited for this project. It's not the biggest project. It's just 800 square feet. Hmm. But this person has a really big budget for 800 square foot home. And he, the reason why he won me over is what he wants to do, right? So he wants to. he's leaving Earth, him and his wife, um later on and uh they're going to mars so they wanted a home that would one be a monument to you know their celebration of humanity once they're gone because obviously they're not going to be coming back uh so it's like a, a monument to them uh and at the same time it's a transitional space for them to get used to what they're going to be experiencing on mars, Up in mars yeah correct <laughs> That'd be a cool, really cool design. Like you can really, and, do something and it different. happens to be that the plot of land that they've picked is in you know a hurricane zone on hurricane like path, right? Like on hurricane avenue. So I started to think to myself, like, how can I honor these people? How can I help them? You know, like on this journey that they're going through, and uh, what would be the best home for them, right? 
So I thought about it. I was like, well, this home to them is their new refuge from everything, the same way it's going to be on Mars. And in Mars, they have to literally be in their home and that's it. Like there's no refuge outside of whatever their home is. So I started to think, you know, their home needs to be flood proof. It needs to be hurricane proof. It needs to withstand winds of up to 140 miles per hour. What if something impacts the home? How can you make it look good and also do all those things? What we ended up designing for him is a building that looks like, the skin of it looks like a, like an armadillo. Mm-hmm. Um, and it basically just opens up in certain areas to allow for light. But on the inside, it's a big donut. Mm-hmm. And in the center of it is their oasis, right? Like this is their only outdoor space, which I imagine would also be something similar to what they would have in in their home yeah it's right the only the only space that they could be in that would be kind of like a biosphere right um and we designed that home for them and uh now we're we're kind of getting into uh the construction document stage and, and finding our our uh suppliers and things like that so you know their home is something that i saw immediately as they were describing this thing uh and it just it as you're talking to me about a problem, I could solve that problem visually in my mind. And I think that's uh, that's something that I didn't realize everyone can do. Yeah, no, it's it's, a, it's an art form, you know, it's in your head. It's, uh, I, I don't know what it is, but <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing the skill set to have. I mean, obviously it helps in, Thanks, your, in what you do. <laughs> Um, I'm curious to see what that house looks like too when you when you finish designing. That yeah, house. we could we could absolutely share uh, some you know preliminary. Uh, we call them clay models. So before we start rendering yeah. everything, we... you got to post more on your your Instagram, man. I never I see some of your stuff, but uh, uh, we post we post products once the they've gone through their life cycle. So we don't like showcasing people's work uh, pr- prior to them being done with it because yeah. there's there's a certain like pride in showing off your your design or your home that they have and we don't want to take that away from them so we wait until they shared it with everyone and then we share it yeah i was cool i was when i was when i was hanging out with you you you're sitting there showing me on your phone all the different work you've done and yeah Yeah. i can't even express these people how like this is crazy beyond beautiful Uh, this is not like a normal design homeowner where you you do it like a you know an extra add-on of an awning here you guys this is like beyond creativity of circles and and just like he, he's talking about building it right now like I, I don't even know how you build some of this stuff with domes and structures and roundness you know that's very hard to do in building you know yeah. um, the cylinder stuff of building it takes a lot of, you know a lot of work to do a, just an arched walkway you know it's a lot of work so you know the the building is not an easy feat by but uh yeah so you do some interesting stuff with real estate and financing deals and how do you how how were you doing before so you're jving and doing stuff together um were you buying the properties in a partnership and stuff like that or how would yeah. how are you structuring so i know every deal is different but how yeah you- so it kind of it kind of started off uh when we had the least amount of leverage right we started yeah. off saying, okay, we're going to partner in 50-50, right? So you're going to put up 50% of the funds uh, and, you know, do the commercial loans or any loans that are required. And we'll put up the other 50% of uh, funds required, any gap funding, right? Yeah, the gap. 
for for this particular project, we had to take down the land uh, all cash, right? So we took down the land cash. It was a 50-50 split. Uh, you know, it was something like $600,000 or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, 780 uh, to take down the land. And then, you know, any gap funding, we were going to cover equal parts, right? Mm-hmm. Me and my business partner at the time. Uh, and then we kind of went through all that and we would, did all the development uh, at cost. So, you know, we're not charging anything at all other than whatever cost is being passed to us. We just yeah. split with our partner. Yeah. So that's that's like the, how we got into it, right? We had to really put a lot of uh, sweat equity into it. We had to put a lot of money into it so we'd be able to get that first deal, right? Yeah. But as, as our business grew, our positioning completely changed. So Is for that, that same, one partner you were talking about earlier that you kind of splitted ways? So we, we, haven't, we, we haven't split ways. Uh, but oh, that was I, another thing. That was a long time ago. You did correct. another partner. Yeah. Uh, but so what ends up happening is that for that same deal today, right. And we're talking about like single family home type deals, right. We basically take, uh, 50% of, uh, the profits and we put in, you know, something extremely de minimis. So for like, I think for some of our, uh, products in in Nashville, we, we were in for like under 10%, uh, of the entire, uh, cost of gap and then we get 50 percent of uh the returns and that's you know its own you know deals and then if you look at like much bigger deals um and all those are developments by the way so like all of this stuff you know ground ground ups and they're built to sell too you'd have to be selling these correct or or if something exists we're knocking the whole thing down and we're coming up with something new right so um so there's a lot of there's a lot of meat on the bone for developments and just prefacing this for like our audience because they might be thinking like oh 50 that's a that's a huge chunk but it's 50 of profits okay. and then those profits uh aren't realized unless we're we're on board right like the exponential growth we actually add is a lot more than the 50 that we end up getting mm-hmm. uh and then on much bigger deals our percentage is much smaller so like it's anywhere between uh, so like for towers like this, if we were to be the developer on it, which we're not actually the developer on it as of right now, we're the architects on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we were to be the, the developers on it, we would, uh, get something like a four and a half to 6% of, uh, the equity, um, that we create in the project, right? Mm-hmm. So what, whatever that equity is, and then obviously all our architecture fees are, are paid and, and all the services are paid and, and everything like that. I love that um, model. I think that's a great model where you're taking equity instead instead. Because in the long term of it all, your money you're exactly. way ahead. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, the design part of it keeps the lights on and it keeps like, you know, the bills going and the cash flow. Then uh the equity position for us really is how we grow. Like, you know, we wanna we wanna get into business with people that we wanna help grow their business, right? And if we help them grow that business, then it's a win. Yeah, that we, we deserve a part of that equity, right? So yeah. we take that, and that's our that's our piggy bank, right? That's that's how our uh, that's how our exponential growth happens. It's not through selling more design, or at least for my practice, that wasn't what I intended out to do. My, what I intended out to do is generate value for my business partners, and then in, in that value that I generate to them, we could choose whichever the exit strategy is. My preferred mode is to have more equity. Is 
as things grow, but sometimes it doesn't make sense and you just have to take the cash out of it and, and move on to the next thing. You just got my head spinning, man, over here. I'm thinking of projects I'm going to partner with. Hey, guys, 50-50 partner to do these kind of deals is crazy. And honestly, it's not as much to the table as it may seem. Uh, you know, you're not portrayed. It, the gap funds is literally that's the hardest part of it all. So yeah. To offset, really yeah, that somebody that can raise gap funds, uh, you know, to do these kind of deals. So what? You're giving up a lot more, but it just allows you to do a lot together. And that's how I partner yeah. and do and, things. All yeah. Time. And what ends up, what, what ends up happening with partnerships like this? And once you get like the right partnership, right? Mm -hmm. If you think about the big names in real estate, they're either doing something extremely boring and extremely repetitive and their margins are very small and they're, they're doing it in volume, right? Or they're like the related groups or the chevaux of the world, right? And what they're good at is doing these two things. They're really good at real estate to start off with, right? So they know how to acquire the right deal in the right location, be able to fund it, be able to like figure all that out. And then on the other end, they have the prowess and the know-how to put products in the market that are the best in their class, right? Mm -hmm. So you know that Cheval is going to deliver the next best hotel, right? Related group is going to deliver the best next condo development in Miami. Like you don't doubt it. You just know that this is what's going to happen, right? Yeah. Soul Brothers is going to deliver the next, you know, best, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, reputable home in America, right? In mass yeah. market. You so, built a reputation. Yeah. So no. exactly. They've built that reputation and that reputation becomes like wildfire because it just goes from, you know, be, you being able to just look for the deal, acquire the deal, just sell the deal. And it doesn't create the knowledge around your brand, right? Like you haven't really identified yourself from the next developer or seller or wholesaler, right? Like it's mm -hmm. a set here. It doesn't matter at that point you're just competing on price points right yeah. but once you get into that niche of no we create experiences we create things that generate more income we create we're creating the best in real estate then you start spreading like wildfire and then people want to put your your name on their buildings so mm -hmm. you know hypothetically speaking it's the indar group right and indar group gets known for having like a certain style to itself. That's how you end up with your name like Trump, right? Like Trump leases out his name to other countries in different locations. Beautiful just, style. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Because they expect his things to be gold and marble and they know what they're getting with that, right? Yeah. And it's the same idea. Related does the same. Every single developer that's extremely successful, they carve that niche for themselves and they get that client following. And that following generates exponential growth for them in markets outside of their own. I would say that's a hard jump because now I'm thinking about it in my head. Yes, I actually I'd love to create my own, uh, everything I do, I always have something originality so people remember it's my design, my build. But taking a jump to that higher end because we're always battling, it's like a love-hate business. We have a budget to stick to, but we want this high-end feel to create that really great feel. It's, it's a love-hate, like, like when I do a flip, I want to put every millions of dollars and do everything perfectly, but we have this budget, you know, it's like a, it's a dance, you know, in, yeah, it's, in, in, in sometimes. It's a different mindset because you're trying to sell to the whole market, right? You're trying to be like, okay, I want to be in the middle of the stack, right? Mm -hmm. But what if your target was like, okay, I'm going to sell this home 
to Zuckerberg and or Mark Cuban or 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 right and they all need homes in Hawaii, right? Yeah, like they have, yeah. They have or need or want, right? Like I'm not saying you you define yourself like to 10 clients, right? But the, the point that I'm making it here is you're just creating a different strategy for a different buyer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that range, there's a lot of money to be made because it's an underserved market. Fundamentally, it's like the very top is actually underserved compared to like the very bottom, which is overserved. Hmm. That's interesting. There, there are less, yeah, fewer buying pool and so forth. We have a four point four point two on the market right now, actually. And I notice after after about a million and a half, it's a different buying pool just in general. After a million and a half, you know, now it's more uh, sad. You know, that person's successful, so they're going to yeah. look for the finer details. Then they're going to look for that higher end touch, and uh, they're going to ask more questions. You know, and um, you got to kind of have a great product to sell in that in that range. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. And especially in a market like yours where uh, people value quality. Like, you know, in certain markets, people don't really value quality. But I feel the, the Hawaiian market. I think is, more in your market, actually, in L.A., because you have more competition. You got, like, hundreds of homes and hundreds that's of great true. builders. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. I think yeah. L.A. is the very top with New yeah. York. But I also think Hawaii is in a similar boat because when people go to Hawaii, they're expecting an experience, right? Mm-hmm. They're not expecting to be like in their, yeah, you know, yeah. less than less than exciting New York condo, right? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, know. Uh, I've I've been wanting to do even more and more, like steam rooms in our bathrooms and have some kind of diffusers going throughout houses. It's just create that experience. Yeah. So when you walk into a house, you have that smell and feelings, and you know, it, definitely you need to create that experience. Absolutely, <laughs> that's funny. But uh, man, I would love to do. I would love to. Do, I'm I'm thinking of multifamily. I'm trying trying to find a. I want to find a multifamily or a commercial space and uh, and figure out how we can value add. That's essentially what we're talking about here. How to value add? Love, and, yeah, uh, I'd love to. I'd love to work with you on something. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> That'd be to stick in my head, man. Because <laughs> right now you can find some really good deals. But yeah. Let's, Let's we didn't get to talk on. Let's talk about uh, your crypto and that whole field and that whole world. Uh, you were when we first talked. I think you're just kind of dabbling and actually just started. This was three years ago, and now you, I mean, you you guys are beast. You guys sell the. It was the largest ever um, first day sale of any you know over CryptoPunk and over um, all the other ones. Yeah. So it's close. We were the number one on on OpenSea uh, for that period of time uh, that we were we were number one. So we were outperforming, you know, uh, projects like uh, CryptoPunks to your point, and even the Board Apes, uh, not the Board Apes, the, the Mutant Apes. The Board Apes were maybe still ahead of us, but at some point, no, we ended up being the number one. So even above Board Apes, right? Um, so yes, we've we've had our fair share of success, and we're extremely excited for what we've what we've built. Um, and yeah, fundamentally, what we are building is a community of real estate investors, mm-hmm. uh, and buying into our membership into this community is the is an extremely low barrier to entry. Right when we were first starting it, it was like you know five hundred dollars, and you own your membership for a lifetime. Right, so. Mm-hmm. 
once you're in the group, you're in the group, and then now you have access to all these individuals and everyone does business together, right? Similar to the way that we are about to do business together just because of this podcast, right? Like yeah. we talked about it and you're like, wait, there's an opportunity here. Maybe we should yeah. do something. Yeah. And now imagine those same interactions, but hundreds of them uh, on a daily basis, right? So within our boardroom community, we've had several multi-million dollar deals happen over the course of like the last four or five months uh, between uh, other deal makers, right? Like just by being in the same room, you know, several development projects are underway. There's one in North Carolina, lake, uh, a lakefront property, 405 acres. There's another one that's uh, a 320 uh, unit apartment building that's coming up in uh, Georgia with another group from that same boardroom. And the boardroom is only 70 individuals, right? Not the entire uh, group of tykes. So, um, you know, for me, if I had had the opportunity to get into a community of real estate professionals 12 years ago, instead of having to do, you know, a ton of architectural engineering and a ton of VC work just to niche my path into real estate, I would have definitely preferred to do that than, you know, spend all that time that we've, that I've had to spend to get to, to, to I think maybe not because I think I think now you evaluate equity a lot more. I think when for me when I was younger I wanted the dollars you want to make yes, them. but yes. now equity is way more cooler. You know to yes. have you know the cash flow. You know it's the cash burns. Yeah, yeah, equity, yeah. equity doesn't burn. <laughs> equity what passes on you know to your family yeah. generation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, so you know that's what we fundamentally built, right? And around that. Our mission is to create all the services that that community needs, right? So now we're seeing the inception point of the things that the community is doing organically, right? So if me and you are transacting on a deal and we want to syndicate it together, well, wouldn't it be cool if our platform could do that for you, could service that interaction instead of the two of you trying to like find your own attorneys and do your paperwork and like all that? What if it was baked in on the platform. Okay, the two of you agree, this is the kind of parameters that you're doing. You click a few things and all of a sudden there's a syndication, you know, that's coming out the other end and you could raise capital within the community on that project, right? Hmm. Uh, so certain ideas like that, and I'm not saying this is what we'll be delivering, but I'm saying there is a lot of value in seeing what interactions are happening amongst our investor base or our, our community base and how those investors are uh, transacting with one another and building the services to facilitate their interactions within the platform, right? And that alone becomes a business that's saleable to, you know, the Microsofts of the world and, mm -hmm. and the like, right? Because you've, you've essentially built something similar to Salesforce, right? Something they can sell to every real estate business or everyone that wants to transact in real estate. And we've proven the model by having the community do it and transact on it and building in real time and getting that feedback uh, mm. organically as we build these services. That's amazing. So you could you're building a, a company. It's, it's in a sense Correct. internal Correct. crypto company. I, I lack of better explanation. So, <laughs> so it's kind of it's kind of interesting how we define our company because our company is actually a tech company. It only leverages you know new technology. It happens to leverage 
NFTs as part of the technology, right? And mm-hmm. we need to sell you your membership as an NFT, right? Yeah, but yeah. the services that get provided around it is no different than any other business that me and Ryan have built. There's normal businesses, normal people at their desks servicing our, our community base, right? Um, so it is obviously a Web3 project, uh, but only to the extent that it uh, services the community, not because we're Web3 first. We're community first and technology mm-hmm. Uh, second right? and yeah, yeah. technology uh, is how you get into it basically you're just closing the door yeah. and we're going to continue to evolve as as technology evolves so today we're web three well guess what if there's a web four we're going to be in web four right mm-hmm. we're going to be in, like we're just a tech company that's at the forefront of technology for real estate investors mm-hmm. that's amazing that's amazing it's amazing you guys got in and started it not knowing where it was going to go, you know, obviously it's an industry that's still brand new. You know, we, we don't know essentially the security of, of the whole industry compared to like real estate where we, we yeah. you know, you know. Yeah. So, so you know, unlike everyone else in, and this is a good point. Thank you for actually pointing it out. Unlike everyone else that did a project in, you know, the Web3 space or the NFT space where it was like, you know, who's left holding the bag? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah game of who's left holding the bag our project and our entire company is not based on making anyone money it's based on giving people the the services to make more money and the connections to make more money but it's on those individuals to make use of those connections right it's similar to what you said right like it's how do you get in front of the right people so that you end up with the best chances right you might if you were a type you might have you know a young gun that has a deal in hawaii that he wouldn't have been able to sell otherwise without having access to you through that community sends it to you and you're like okay this has some meat on it and you give him some cash for it and you move on right yeah so that core is really important we weren't really giving anyone anything for free everyone has to work for it but we're giving everyone the services and the access they need to be as successful as they can be. How you think I've been thinking about how could they, that industry, well, web three or NFTs figure out how to really own real estate and sell it. Cause I, the only one problem I see with all of it is, um, so you, you tie a, a, an NFT, you know, to a house evaluation, you're based upon Ethereum per se. So if Ethereum moves, now your evaluation of that house can also move besides the housing market. And that was the one dilemma I see with the whole attaching, you know, an NFT to a house. So, so what you're, what you're thinking of it off is like, how dynamic is the pricing of this product, right? Like if you know your home is worth a million dollars for simplicity's sake, right? It's worth a million dollars. It's going nowhere, right? Unless the market moves, then that million dollars is 800 or 900 or whatever it is, or the other way around and it goes up, right? There's that fluctuation. But there's yeah. also the price arbitrage that's always happening between the dollar to the yeah. cryptocurrency, right? Yeah, yeah. Dollars say, stable doesn't move as much as compared to correct. Yeah. But that's the same thing that's happening between the dollar and the euro, or the dollar and the yen, or the dollar and yeah. any other currency, right? It's always moving. Yeah. So you know, if you list your home in the U.S. and it's a million dollars, and the euro crashes, then you know the home that could have bought for eight hundred thousand euros, your home would have been. Yeah someone could have been able to buy it for 800,000 euros at some point. Now they have to pay a million euros for that's 
their problem. Your the price of your home hasn't changed. It's still the same valuation. Yeah. Where it's interesting and it's true to what you're saying is if you're doing multifamily, right? And not all multifamily is the same. We assume that the valuations are what they are, but they're very dynamic. If you really think about it, it's based on how much rent roll you're bringing in at any given moment in time, right? Mm -hmm. So the snapshots that we take when we refi are only accurate within that snapshot of that refi, right? And things can be fluctuating up and down during that time, right? And sometimes you go out of pocket, sometimes you don't. And the, there's a fluctuating valuation for this property based on the rent roll that you're getting. Mm -hmm. What's happening is if you have properties like that, that are being paid actively on the blockchain, then you have spot price analysis of the valuation of that property throughout any moment in time. Because it shows you, you know, everyone's rent roll and what's your actual net operating income in any yeah. given moment yeah. in time, right? Yeah. Because yeah. all expenses are, it's like having a spreadsheet that's always open to everyone. It's always documenting every single movement, right? Yeah, yeah. As it changes and you can see. Correct. So that's extremely useful for people like you and me, right? If we have a good track record and we show that our properties consistently are consistent, yeah. it's very different to investors and lenders and everyone than a property that's, you know, not as well managed, right? And it mm -hmm. you know, it's ups and it's ebbs and it's flows and it's it's just it is what it is right versus a property that's mismanaged right mm -hmm. and all that transparency especially to investors i think appreciates the value of good properties and good developments against those worse ones and mm. creates such a an amazing amount of visibility that the winners will win more and the losers are going to either have to pick their 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 game up or yeah. uh, they're going to basically be acquired by one of these winners that knows how to run a business. Huh. That's interesting to see. But you don't think the the fluctuation of Ethereum? No, because what, what ends up happening is like you know, if I've listed a property for like a million, the million dollars, right? So if Ethereum was two thousand dollars, four ten thousand dollars at some point, right? Let's just make it crazy, yeah. right? Ten thousand dollars at some point, then you know you're going to need uh, whatever a thousand Ethereum, right? Versus if uh, if it crashes and it becomes worth a thousand dollars, then you need ten thousand Ethereum. It doesn't change. Like you'll just have to pay more for it, right? Like the value is pegged to the dollar. So you just choose however much amount of dollars you want to sell it for, mm. and then whatever other currency you're selling or buying for, you'll just have to do the, the exchange rate on that. So you could still value it with a dollar. Uh, yeah, a, absolutely. A dollar. Yeah, yeah. That, US that dollar makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's valued at a million dollars, and that's what we're going to sell it for. Mm -hmm. Do you have enough Ethereum for it in that moment in time? If it's yes, then we have a sale. If no, then yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah if you could, if you could peg it to the dollar, then that makes because the dollar doesn't move too much in valuation. Yeah, so yeah. So you, that's it's, what it's I'm looking always, for. Some kind yeah. of no, it's it's always pegged to to the dollar. Uh, now you know it makes that buying pool either rich or poor right that's mm -hmm. the difference like if if all of a sudden you go from you know having a million dollars in ethereum to having like a few hundred thousand dollars worth in ethereum you're not going to yeah. magically make ethereum in between right like yeah, yeah, what you yeah. have is what you have that's, that's so your your yeah. buy yeah your buyer pool shrinks obviously um but it doesn't really affect you uh otherwise it's not like you're gonna have to sell it for a lesser amount of us dollars mm -hmm. uh, you just sell it on the normal market you couldn't take it off. Could you take a house off 
them and put it into a full just thinking how you could do it yeah put it into cool. nft it, it doesn't it doesn't matter that it's an nft or not like the the part i think this part around nfts and you know transacting homes in a in a non-fungible token is is an opportunity i think we just need to think of it differently i think I think we need to think of it as digital contracts. So like mm-hmm. in the future, are we going to transact on homes in digital contracts? Yeah. Cause right now we kind of already do you DocuSign, you know, yeah. some of your deals and of sometimes course. you think them, sometimes you don't like, it depends who you're working with, but a lot of time it's fine. You DocuSign and you've bought a home. It's done. Right. Yeah. So if that form becomes digitized, right. And there's a place for you to be able to track it very transparently. Yeah. Then how is that really that different from from anything else? From like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Like we're 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 already there. Like we're already doing those motions. The difference is it's not backed by technology. Like there's an actual human, right? Like that's involved in doing all those things. But if it were backed by technology and it's just you know transactional, the way you interact with your bank every time you interact with your banking with your bank account, you're not interacting with a human. But it's yeah. just technology, right? And it's and, all tracked. Yeah. Yeah. And you're you're moving millions of dollars around, right? Like yeah. in signing for millions and being deployed more millions, right? But there are no humans involved, and we've become so accustomed to it. We don't really Custom, think yeah. about like yeah. how, how, dangerous, how dangerous it is, but wire fraud exists, and you know, all these other things that are horrible do exist, right? But mm. we transact with it and with the technology so often on a daily basis that it's become like second nature. And that's yeah, yeah. about to happen in real estate too, because it's a waste of time. Like all the time, all the fluff that's happening in the middle could be, yeah, software, yeah. right? Yeah, like, I don't like to, I don't like to yeah. be at a bank that I have to go in and do wires to. I, no, you're like, or my bank like, and I can do it on my computer. Yeah, exactly. You're like, come on, we've been doing this for, like, yeah, you're wasting my time here, right? Uh, so I mean, I, and I, then talking about it, the checks back in the day, that's how my parents, you know, our parents used to yes, pay absolutely. the checks, checks, absolutely, and, you know, all that, kind absolutely. Of stuff. And all the signature didn't match the, you were missing the like, oh, just, yeah. it's, you know, it's just business efficiency. And I think we're almost there for real estate. So the whole transacting, uh, on real estate digitally, I think is, we're about to be there, right. It's just, as soon as like the government gets behind it and we get like, a registrar of sorts that has, you know, everyone's home and everyone's property and it's all kept away and you could see it and know who owns what, when, uh, then it'll make it so much easier. There are lots of things that are going to go away, title and title insurance. So like, cause you're not going to need it. Fundamentally, yeah, need it. It's clear. It's, yeah. Yeah. The government is backing that this person owns this thing you're transacting on and it just happens and it's all like, okay, it moved from this person's account to this person's account. Digitally. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not that hard. We're just making it hard. You know, if you guys are listening out there and just Google some of the, some of the word or lingos. Actually, I was talking about when I uh, started real estate, I remember real estate was its own language, its own little world. Yes. And, uh, you know, talking about some of the yeah. different yeah. terms of it, of it all. Absolutely. But it's the only way to learn is to do it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, go ahead. To, to your following, I wanted to, we keep talking about like my work and we never mentioned, you know, uh, what, what the work is or where they can find it. So if for for everyone uh, that's following Andar's uh, podcast, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for hearing me out. Uh, and if you want to see any of our work, it's at uh, www.samahastudios.com. That's my last name, studios.com. 
Um, and, uh, you know, for my Instagram, that's last underscore citizen uh, on Instagram. And uh, I actually don't know what my Twitter is, but uh, it might be on my Instagram or on my website. Uh, Your last I, citizen. Go to last citizen, guys. Follow him for sure. Yeah, uh, you'll Instagram see a lot of his is cool work and stuff and all that and we'll post the links in uh in well this will be youtube as well and we'll post the post the links so you guys gotta follow some of his stuff and go on to his website and see what you can do and uh you've been an open book actually honestly i I was talking with you before and uh i I don't know maybe it was i i was on your level and maybe you're open to me but uh when we sat down and talked you know you're an open book and uh it's pretty amazing some of the designs and the I can't express enough the creativity that you have in designing. Uh, uh, it is a sculpture, honestly. Like you're turning a building into a sculpture. I that's probably the best way to explain it. What you're doing with a a square, big rectangle building, you're turning into this massive sculpture. You know, taking something boring and and uh, I just my wheels are spinning, man, about some properties and some deals. Uh, that we can let's make it happen man we're make it make it more efficient and yeah, yeah we're working it. we're working now with someone that um i met through a friend of mine on social media and uh he's converting another office building in san juan uh from an office building into a hotel and mm. uh so that's another really interesting opportunity i think adaptive reuse in this coming market is going to be great there are certain mm. uses that are really struggling and with a further market slump, yeah. uh, a, lo- a lot of these places are not going to operate very well. So, you know, for you or your following, for anyone that's looking at adaptive reuse space, and if they don't know what that is, you should look it up. It's basically when you take a space that is not performing as good as it can be and giving it new life by giving it a different function, uh, there's a lot of good money to be to be had there, um, especially with the office space. It's, it's struggling. Sure. And it's we're to actually struggle. we're building out a co-working space right now. So you're l- utilizing a space that was... Uh, an office space where you you only have a set dollar amount per square foot with uh, with co-working we're building a 6,000 square co-working space now you can utilize it you know dollar for dollar at the square footage is so much more yeah. I think with with hotels is a similar thing where you can now you know instead of a monthly you know tenant now you can really generate more income when yeah. you're, when you're with, with hotels and so forth and uh, there's yeah, some so, nice so the way the way we saw it is for hotels, there's been been a bent up stress, right? People have been wanting to to go out on vacation just with everything that's been going on in the past few years in the world. So we think hospitality is going to be a little bit on the rise moving forward. And with, uh, with, with the big office buildings, it's a big problem because you need large tenants, right? You, mm-hmm. you can't get like a small mom and pop sort of situation in a big office building, right? You need mm-hmm. large tenants that are willing to be paying, you know, $30,000, $40,000 in payroll a month, right? So that's not that's not a big buyer pool. So developments like the one you're talking about actually makes sense because that buyer pool is shrinking and they're downsizing their offices mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And all those people that are going to be out of a job are probably going to end up in small business, right? And that small business is either going to work from home or they're going to work from a small office, similar to the co-working spaces that you're talking about. So it's it's definitely a move. It's one that we've considered several times. But being where we are in LA, there's a lot of saturation. There's a lot of we works around, so we didn't want to compete with them. Uh, and they have cash to burn, right? So we were like, ah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we, we don't, 
We don't want to play your dirty game. We're in real estate to make money in real estate, not to flex our muscles. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. I, and I think I've been seeing an uprising. A lot of investors are doing boutique hotels and some of these things, uh, you know, and take advantage of utilizing uh, Airbnbs and all these different platforms to really to make a hotel succeed as older hotels would not. You know, they're trying to self-manage it themselves. Boutique hotels would self-manage. Yeah. And, uh, to utilize spaces now and use booking.com and home away and all the other places. I, I have some ideas in mind. <laughs> Again, the wheels are spinning, <laughs> but, and, uh, and by the way, th this is the next wave. People don't want to be at a Marriott anymore. People don't want to be in a holiday and it's boring. It's you don't, you don't want to do it. You don't want to vacation there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. People are looking for that authentic new experience. They want to feel like, they're in your hotel. I know it's crazy as it sounds. They want to be in your hotel. And I'm talking about every single one watching the show. They want to see what your hospitality looks like. And that's the next wave of hospitality for sure. Like without a hint of doubt, it's going to be bigger than Airbnb and smaller than your big box hospitality. Boutique hospitality is going to be on the rise. And those that have strong, good aesthetic and, yeah. you know, fun things to their concepts. Uniqueness. Uniqueness. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's all everyone wants. No one wants yeah, to be people that. Want, people want that experience. Uh, we, we have a, this stupid little thing. We have some angel wings in one of our Airbnbs. The, the angel wings are like taking pictures everywhere. You know, it's on the wall and love they, they love that uniqueness. It's an ex experience. It, they're, yeah. they're looking to be in your space. That's the next wave. People are bored of the the Starbucks type home, mm -hmm. right? The mm -hmm. Starbucks type. Like it's just been done. It's so like lame and tasteless. It's just it's yeah. not an experience. Yeah. It's interesting. That's cool, man. <laughs> but um uh we're just jumping all over this thing. But um let me talking? let me ask you a question. <laughs> Is there a project that uh, you're going through right now that maybe I could give you some ideas on? Um, well, we're acquiring uh, the shopping center right now, 5.8 million. I sent it to you. We're just about to close that. I'm still raising and about to close on that. Um, it's an added value, raise rents kind of project, real straightforward. Um, and then, yeah, we got our, we got 18 flips going on right now. Um, I have one of the, I have a few that are, um, a few high end ones that, uh, I think I got to pull out all the stops, especially in this market right now. I think I'm going to kind of pull out all the stops and, uh, spend a little more, do a more nicer things that I wouldn't normally do. Um, you know, think what that clientele would hopefully want, you know, more stucco finishes on the exterior and, uh, some black sliding windows compared to the white vinyl, think little things like that yep. Yep. go a long way in that high end feel, yep. you know, it's, it's more harder for us in Hawaii. So that's one thing I struggle with actually is, is finding materials and make it being uh, ready available. Cause when we flip a house, we're three, six months, maybe nine months for the, the high end stuff, you know, and it takes six to eight weeks for things to even show up here. So it's hard sometimes to make work, with what you have in Hawaii, you know, you gotta, oh, I, I completely yeah. understand. I, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's where doing ground up development could actually be good for markets like that. Because if you design something with local resources, you'd be surprised how much better it could be than building with non-native resources. 
I'll give you a couple of examples that could really help with this. And it doesn't exist in, unfortunately, in Hawaii because of, uh, you know, America's influence on Hawaii is so prevalent that it needs to look like the rest of America, right? Where you have very different resources, right? Your resources are a lot more similar to that of like Bali or New Zealand or, uh, you know, uh, some of the other uh, tropical Asian uh, markets. Yeah. And what they do really well is because they're not being forced or not necessarily forced, but they're not, uh, they're not having to abide by what's like most convenient they're using their, their own rhetoric to create very beautiful architecture so mm-hmm. one of the very interesting projects that uh that i love that exhibits this is the four seasons in uh Ubud in bali right mm-hmm. their architecture looks like it's from there right so they have lots of really cool concepts that work in their context that would work in hawaii where you don't have to get those traditional things that people really want in the us right because they're you're redefining what's that experience what are you trying to get when you're living in this environment as opposed to what you imagine every home in america should look like right yeah leaning on a lot more of the culture and a lot more of like what's actually historically worked and bringing it and creating something new out of it that's probably where you win the most and spend the least yeah, that's funny you say that Four Seasons. I actually get a lot of inspiration when I go to some of these higher-end hotels. I, I literally take snapshots. I was in Vegas at, I don't know what hotel it was, some a nice high-end. I was like taking pictures of the bathroom because I get inspiration in them and what they're doing yeah. a lot of times because I I think sometimes it's cool to make a house feel like you're in a hotel. I don't know if that's bad or good, but it is want that luxury, is. relaxed feel, you know? It is. So but uh i like the bali style they're they're um, um uh, what's it guys um michael uh, the hair product guy he, he built the house on big island and uh he brought everything in from bali all custom beautiful bali style homes and uh yeah it's, it's beautiful you know, the, the thing is it doesn't actually have to be bali i i, I was just giving that as an example yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I do it completely from and by hawaii like yeah. that would be where it would really shine yeah that's uh, that's cool to try and make that uniqueness of it all but sometimes the hawaiian older hawaiian style is kind of older feel it's uh it's not actually i actually don't like the too much hawaiian style the it's trying to take that old hawaiian feel and make it more modern i guess is what I'm you, you haven't seen what we do for for hawaii no, I, I gotta find a. I gotta find this big project here. I'm gonna bring you over here, man. Do this partner yeah. with you on a on a nice. You, you'll, you'll get it once you see it. Yeah, there's a there's a uh, 1.6 million house I'm looking at right now in this five six seven million dollar neighborhood. So maybe I better go buy that thing and do, bring you on and do it with you, partner. Let's with you. Let's <laughs> I just don't know if. Uh, uh, where you know what the market and how it is so. yeah no i i completely understand <laughs> with those higher end stuff it's uh you really gotta be ready <laughs> no i listen i've i've seen it like uh but when you're doing development it's a little bit easier in my opinion mm-hmm. because you do it on fundamental principles you're not playing arbitrage with the market so you're looking at much longer time spans and because you're thinking of it that way and you're finances are lined up that way you're not in that struggle of like okay well you know my investors are waiting for this money now they everyone has understanding your horizons three years 
Mm-hmm. This is what they're going to get. You know, you use financing only when you need the financing and it only comes in when things really pick up steam. But while they're not, where it's in a lull, it's just, you know, cash, you're sitting on it, you're expecting it to depreciate at a certain point and then appreciate at another point. It yeah. actually, because it's spread out, it takes away a lot of the anxiety that a lot of people feel. And when you really think about those bigger developers, they don't care about where the market is because they know that whenever they start, they're going to be better out at the end of it because they can hold through, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're going to generate that value. And that's why they're not stressed. They're not stressed because they are creating value. And if you're creating value, then it doesn't matter if you have the right financial partners. Like it does obviously matter what the exit is, but it doesn't matter what happens during that pendulum yeah. swing, right? Because you're not concerned. That's so true. Because when you buy a land, you just buy a land. That's all. That's your only cost up front is buying the land. Then you're not starting work until you permit. You know, it's through and everything, and that could be a year later. Yeah, a year, two years, depending how big the project is. Three years, like you know. And if you buy right, right, within a range of right, it doesn't matter that it fluctuates 10, 15 percent. Like it, you know, 10, 15 percent on the land value is nothing compared to just once you have a permit, right? Yeah. Like especially, especially in places like Hawaii or LA or like where it's harder, it's not as easy to build, right? Uh, you're you're always creating value, so because of that, it doesn't actually stress me out as much but what stresses me out is getting cash in between to keep the lights on for everything else right yeah. but the products yeah. themselves don't stress me out it's what's happening meantime is what actually does stress me out yeah you got to keep cash going for other things from other things keep, business running, keep the guys paid yeah Correct. yeah it's getting enough of those bigger ones going and rolling that you know that exactly gonna, yeah exactly so yeah, yeah. yeah so the, so the big players time it out so that it's like in two-year mm. intervals right mm. uh they get huge paydays and then in between they're basically become mm. so efficient at raising capital they pay themselves from that capital as well right yeah, because they're doing- acquisition fee yeah most big players yeah. take a and a, a bunch of other things, not just acquisition, right? Like the bigger ones related in Shro and all those, they're paying themselves for design, they're paying themselves for management, they're paying themselves for engineering. Like all those trades start to come in-house and they start to service all those things, right? They're constantly adding value. And that's what puts their lights on. And that's exactly the same model that we employ, more or less. But obviously, we're not as big as they are. And uh, so we cut people much better deals than, than they would. <laughs> No, honestly, the the Puerto Rico client of mine, uh, you know, they were charging them a million dollars in design fees alone, right? Mm. Uh, We're not going to charge them a million dollars for the redesign of their hotel. We're going to do the same work, even better, um, because for us, it's uh, it's it's a huge thing to get that client on and then be able to perpetuate this soundbite, right? Like, it's not two or three hotels that we've done. No, we've done and we've done in yeah. this country this it's like the client the building you're in right now that's exactly the job that you've done for him exactly and I, every other and every i other had job to, from yeah him. and i had to take that first job for less money than the second job than the third job right so to that end uh my eyes on the prize and i know i know where we're going we just got to find more great partners that uh that help us create that value for them and for ourselves mm-hmm. that's amazing that's cool there's a guy I, I, I like to follow. He's a, kind of my idol. His name is Barry Schwitzner. He's the owner of Marriott and uh, the Starwood Group. He's 
kind of the beast. He flipped, he uh, bird the Cosmopolitan Hotel. He's a beast, and uh, that's the kind of guys you need to start. Imagine burning the Cosmopolitan. <laughs> yeah, you, you should follow, read some of his stuff. He's he's like yeah. my idol, idol in this world, and uh, it's pretty crazy. He does some of the stuff you're talking about in a larger scale, basically. Of course, it's huge um, scale. It's yeah. they they define scale. Yeah, yeah, they define it. Scale makes the things we do feel like nothing. There's always something bigger, of course. Yeah, yeah. But uh, right on, man. Thank you so much for. Uh, I don't take too much of your time, man. We've been talking for an hour for an hour. This is so much fun. Please, <laughs> let's make it happen. I, come, I love come catching to up. Hawaii. I want you to come to Hawaii. I'm gonna take love care to. of you everything. I'll show you and your wife and your and your kids. Our kids are about the same age, so they would love hanging out. Your kid's four, I think, right? She's about to turn four. Yes. Okay, I think that's close. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, again. So where where can everyone follow you again? One more last time at the plug at the end. So that's at last underscore citizen uh, on Instagram. And then our website is Samaha. That's S-A-M-A-H-A studios.com. So make sure everyone goes on there and just comment or message, talk some crap if you want. We don't care. We'll love it. We love, we, <laughs> we love, enjoy all, it. Thank you we so love much. all the conversation. <laughs> yeah, just come talk story guys. And uh, successful people are open book. I should share that to you guys. Successful people don't feel shy to ask questions because we were all in your place at one time. So ask questions. It's all part of the story, man. It's like, you know, we're, we're writing it and there's so much time we have in our life. There's nothing to, to, yeah. to carry away from. This is yeah. this is how we got here, and I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know that I'm doing my best to, to make it go in the right direction. Yeah, so true, so true. We were all in your shoes at one point. So, um, but thank you so much for having uh, being on the show and just talking story. And uh, hopes everyone got a lot of value out of that. I mean, there's some high level stuff to to everyone learn about, but that's what it takes, you know, to be around successful people. You need to learn from them. So, right on. And Dar, it's been a pleasure. Appreciate Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Aloha, everybody.